What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the hardworking happy hour. I'm Sean. And I'm Catherine. And as always, we'll be breaking down all things trades, entrepreneurship, and turning your creativity into a passion career. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's uh, It's been another cold week here. It is the end of January. It was it snowing a little bit ago. Snowing. It It looks like it just stopped. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. It just yeah. Just, just barely yeah. stopped, but... But it's going to start again. Apparently, the forecast is for actually 0 to 20 inches is what the report <laughs> said because we're supposed to get a bomb cyclone, which just sounds like bad meteorology. It sounds like they don't know, and it's just <laughs> purely a guess. Yeah. It's like an obnoxiously large range. Yeah. Like they could say 0 to 6, and I feel like that would be a pass. 0 to 20 is just too much. Yeah. So, this week, Q and A. Yeah, we're gonna we're we opened up the hotline to just any question that you have for us, and uh, we're gonna play them. Yeah. We're gonna react to them. We're gonna answer them. We're gonna discuss them in some in some depth and really get into it. So I think it's gonna yeah. be really fun. I'm excited. It's a nice change of pace for us. It is, you know, and uh, a little sometimes, bit more relaxed. We're a relaxed yeah. episode today. Very relaxed episode. I feel extremely relaxed <laughs> and it gives us the chance sometimes people might come up with a question that might not fit in with you know a topic that we're going to dedicate a whole episode to so yeah. this way we get tons of questions on Instagram on you know all of our social media and a lot of times they require a more long format answer so this uh I think this will be fun to just give people give people some answers and be able to be a little bit more insightful and thoughtful with uh, our responses. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we like to talk a lot, so. Oh, and before we get into the questions. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about our drinks this week. Yeah. You had a chance to mix your first cocktail of the podcast. <laughs> I did. Um, yeah, because the other time I made a whiskey and ginger ale, so I'm not even counting that. Yeah. That's only two ingredients. <laughs> this has three ingredients, four if you count the ice. <laughs> I guess five if you if you count the glass. Yeah. So we have what's called a Tiger Woods, and it is vodka, uh, cranberry juice, and lemon juice. Yeah. And it's actually really good. It's very good. Yeah. It called for an obnoxious amount of lemon juice, and I was like, this, I really don't <laughs> feel like this takes tastes good. Yeah. But I like it. It's really good. Yeah, it's very refreshing. I, w I mean, maybe for our next Q&A, Tiger Woods could call in and explain to us why this is his drink. I would like to know the answer yeah. to that. Yeah, um, I'm sure he would love to call in, but yeah. uh, I don't want to get too away from our core audience, which is really contractors and people in the trades, trades entrepreneurs. People. Yeah. Sorry, Tiger, but I don't know if you're relevant enough to call into the podcast. <laughs> I know he wants to, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I, he can just call in and give us the answer. We don't have to play his question. We can just yeah, we can you know, just know just for it for curiosity's sake. Yeah. All right. Well, you heard it, Tiger. Call in and just leave us a message. Yeah. But yeah. So. Yeah. So this is actually our third podcast of the week. It is. Yeah. We. <laughs> it's Friday, and we had a we had an insanely. We've been all over the place. We really yeah. have. I don't even remember how we started the week because. <laughs> been a long week yeah wednesday at what time do we leave 6 a.m yeah 6 a.m uh to go to boston massachusetts mm -hmm. for the techo block summit the first one that they did up there 
And uh, we did a live podcast on stage. It was really cool. Yeah. And we stayed overnight. We did another live podcast on Thursday. And then drove, like, when we left, it said it was going to take four and a half hours to get home. It took, like, six and a half. Yeah. Maybe even close to seven. Yeah. Yeah. We it was were, brutal. Like, we losing <laughs> our minds. <laughs> it was really brutal, but. And we got a flat tire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> while we were there, that wasn't on the drive. It wasn't dangerous. Yeah. We were we were safe the whole time, but it was, yeah. uh, you know, added a little element of, um. Stress and suspense. And <laughs> yeah, a little bit of suspense. Mystery. To the trip. Yeah. yeah. But we got that all worked out. Put some air back in it. It held long enough to drive seven hours home. Yeah. Might not have been the most safe decision to just say, <laughs> yeah, it'll probably hold and we'll, we'll leave. But uh, we got home and it was a good time. Yeah, it was it a was great cool time. It was cool too. We, we met a lot of people that uh, we either haven't met before or we just know through Instagram or. Yeah. Uh, you know, any social media platform. And this was the first time meeting in person. So that was really cool. Yeah. And uh, and it was fun to do. Now that we're doing a podcast, I've been on some other podcasts, but this was the first one doing like a live in front of a live audience. Yeah, it was cool. It was. It was really it was cool. really cool. And we opened it up to like a live Q&A there. Yeah. And had some great questions and had a good time. Yeah, and people like hung around afterwards to just chat with us, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, I I, I like those trade shows because you you really do get to like meet a bunch of people, and I feel like this community is pretty close knit. Like it seems like yeah. everyone kind of knows each other a little bit, or like you see what people are doing on the internet, and um, so it's cool. It's cool to meet yeah. people. I like that and part of it. I think that's probably my favorite part of any trade show or trade event is just the networking, connecting with other contractors or other companies or other, just anybody that's in the industry. I think you can learn a lot from anybody that you meet in this industry. So yeah, it's really cool. And especially at these type of shows, everybody's just there to learn, to level up a little bit. So everybody's really yeah. open. Nobody's, it's not like a lot of times these are your local competitors or they're trying to hide stuff from you. So people are really open and everybody's in a mindset of wanting to learn. So yeah, that's my favorite part of it. Yeah. And everyone leveling up their own game is only uh, increasing interest in the industry. The industry. Yeah. So they say a good. rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. That's a boating term. <laughs> that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it applies to everything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, always be looking out for who you can learn from. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody out there that you can learn from. And, uh, you know, it's a good mindset to to keep yourself in. Yeah. And All hopefully right. you're here to listen to this podcast and learn something today. And hopefully uh, either we or a caller can, you know, maybe you can have a little bit of a takeaway from this episode to uh, impact your, your life or your business. Yeah. And I mean, we don't have all the answers, but we do like to spark a conversation within yourself. Yeah. To make you think harder about yeah. those things. Look that's, introspectively. That's a great point. Yeah, because we don't want to sit here and pretend like we have all the answers because we have we have more questions than we have answers. <laughs> we but have plenty of questions. I think, and the answers for us aren't necessarily going to be the answers for you. So Yeah, it's just what's worked for us. It's just what's worked for us, but I think at least anytime I listen to podcasts or read books or, or anything... It just, 
you know, there might be some actionable things in that piece of content or, or book or whatever, wherever I'm getting it from. But more than anything, I think it just puts me in a mindset of being more aware of these situations and just thinking a little bit more deeply about it. So I might not get the answer from the book I read, but puts me in a mindset to just be more mindful of these things in my own life, whatever that happens to be. And that's how you start to, you know, affect change in your life is first noticing it, noticing the problem. And then you're, you're just more open to solutions that way. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was a great way of putting that. We're not here to, we're not here to answer everything for you, but we're here to ask the questions and get you yeah. asking questions to yourself. We're here to start the conversation. Yeah. That's all this is. Just a conversation. <laughs> yeah. But this is a, we did kind of highlight this show as a Q&A and the yeah. A does stand for answers. So we're going to yeah. try to give our answers. We're going to give our answers. Yes. But, but they might not be your answers. They might not be your answers. So just join us for the conversation. <laughs> join us for the ride. And, uh, I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be fun. We haven't listened to the voicemails yet, so um yeah. Yeah. Should we just should we just jump right in or what? Yeah. It's kind of funny because they come through as just uh numbers like we don't have these people saved. So uh yeah, let's get into it. You ready? Mhm. All right. Voicemail number 1. Hey, Sean and Catherine, Chris Green with Legacy Decks. My question for you guys is, as it relates to, like, lumber prices increasing, how we all saw the things go up in 2020, and it may happen again in the future. So my question is this, is have you guys implemented any kind of an escalation clause into your contract, some way to protect or insulate you guys um, as material costs go up? Um, we operate with a fixed cost price um, with our contract with our contract with customers, and we can book out three to six months in advance. So the prices when we sell the job may be drastically different six months out. So we're trying to figure out how to navigate that as a company. So I'd love to hear some insight from you guys on it. Appreciate what you're doing. Keep it up. So uh, that was a that's a great question. Um, and it's really relevant because we went through a time of, of crazy fluctuation in the market with lumber prices and all kinds of other materials. And... You're also very adept at contracts, so mm -hmm. I think you'll have a, a great <laughs> input on if you want to do that, how it's possible. But for yeah. us, uh, we did see a humongous increase in, uh, I mean, especially the cost of lumber. That's kind of evened out. It's more than it was, uh, say, January 2020, but it's not as high as it once was, and it kind of leveled out a bit. But for a time there... I guess it was, you know, at the beginning of COVID, really that whole, all of 2020 was just really, really crazy with lumber prices. And it was, at the time, it, it was kind of happening real time. It wasn't something that I had experienced before. So we didn't have anything in those contracts then. But going forward, it was something that I definitely thought about. But mm -hmm. we operate the same way. Uh, we draw up up a proposal and it's a fixed cost and the the client knows exactly what this project's going to cost and i really love that part of our business that they're never going to feel like we're trying to upsell them or that hgtv scenario where 
uh oh, we didn't expect this, to see this. Like, we're the professionals. We should know what to anticipate and anticipate those things and build it into our price. Mm-hmm. Because I just think no matter how much the project costs, it's just the last thing that people want to hear that something's going to cost extra. And then with the uh, lumber prices, I just, I, I kind of evaluated it and, you know, how exactly do you track that? Do you write in your contract like uh, lumber as a, as a whole commodity on the, on the market right now is trading for however they even trade it by thousand board feet or, or whatever um, that increased, you know, it, it's, I think it would just be really complicated to build that into a contract and have it so that it's kind of traceable. Um, so I decided we're not going to, we're not going to try to put in these clauses for escalation of prices because lumber is the thing that we experienced the most, uh, biggest rise in cost on. And it's still a very small portion of our projects of the overall cost. So we didn't get killed on it. And I think for the most part, that uh, volatility is for the most part behind us. I think they've leveled out. I don't think they're ever going to go back to what they were in the beginning of 2020, but I don't think it's going to be as volatile. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, And from a contract perspective, there are two clauses that you can add to your contracts for those purposes. There's a price adjustment clause where you can add that in and say, like, obviously everyone kind of was aware that the lumber prices rose. So you there, that's kind of built into the wording of a price adjustment clause where you can say, if something fluctuates crazily, then this adjustment will happen. Um, like you said, it's kind of hard to track where it's like, where are these prices going? Where were yeah. they? It's a little difficult in that way, but that does protect the contractor with a price adjustment clause. Um, or a scope of work clause where you are describing exactly what they're going to get done and the timeline. Um, so if you do have like huge delays because you can't get these, you know, there's a shipping delay or whatever, you can't get your stuff that you need to get your existing jobs done and it's delaying all your future jobs, um, in the scope of work clause, it will kind of build in a buffer with time. Um, so yeah, those are two options if you want to look into adding those to your contracts. Yeah, and it, it that's been something that's kind of discussed in the industry a lot, especially last year, and, and yeah. people wondering how to build that into their contracts. And, like, how would you exactly, you know, would you say, okay, I'm going to get a quote on your lumber package from the dealer, and this is the price that we've quoted it on. Anything above that is going to be an extra but then you're also opening yourself up to what if the price drops, do you then take money off the project? Um, you know, how, how does that, what's the benchmark that you're basing that off of? And how is that transparent? Like, I yeah. just feel like in a vague sense, it's kind of like if prices go up like crazy, we're going to have to raise our price. But this is a contract. This is, you know, has to be like down to the very detail. What, yeah. What type of benchmark would you track? Um, usually it's just a, like, if the price fluctuates more than 10% either way, then either party has the right to terminate the contract. Oh, okay. Um, so, there, I mean, there's different ways to word it, but I think that that's probably the most common that gotcha. would be used. Um, just because if, like, somebody signs a contract and they're like, okay, like, I, I really want this dream backyard, um, it's a it's a stretch for us. And then the lumber prices 
rise and it, you know, shoots their estimate up by $30,000. They're like, okay, well now I just, I actually can't yeah. pay for this. So it kind of gives you like the person at and out or the contractor and out. If in case it goes the other way where you're like, okay, I priced this out when lumber prices were really high. Now they're really low. I'm going to make this huge amount of profit or like, you know, it like makes you seem, seem shady or whatever. Like yeah. it kind of gives it an either way. That's Usually okay. it's written either party can cancel, which, you know, yeah. you don't want to be canceling contracts, but it's kind of good that both parties have the out. So your out would really be if if prices fluctuated beyond a certain amount, that contract could be terminated and you would write a new contract addressing yeah. whatever that price increase was. Yeah. So the terms of that increase don't have to be necessarily laid out super detailed. Yeah, it's, it doesn't have to be like a dollar figure where you're like... Gotcha. If the lumber prices increase by however yeah. much per foot, I you know it's it's more of like a ten percent either way. Or you can write it, yeah, however, however you, you feel is yeah. appropriate to your business. But you but don't necessarily like a, have to address exactly how you're going to calculate that increase. That would be mm-hmm. that would be discussed under a new contract. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very and interesting. I think, and yeah. I think as a contractor, it's it's so it's good to have those conversations with your client, being like being like very open and transparent, like, okay, lumber prices rose by this much. I have to adjust your, like, be able to back up your numbers. Don't just be like, well, lumber prices are up. I'm going to increase this 40%. Yeah. And uh, what do you want to do? Like, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a it's a good way to have an open dialogue with your clients anyway. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's one of your strong suits is the contract stuff. And that's why I'm glad that you're on Team Premier because you know <laughs> this stuff. And when you explain that it like contracts. that... It makes a lot of sense. It doesn't seem as complicated as I had kind of thought in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we'll look at adding that into our contracts in the future if yeah. we go through another, definitely if we go through another period of like insane volatility in pricing, then I'd be more likely to want to put that in our contracts. But mm-hmm. I think I think that is hopefully for the most part behind us. And we ha- do have some stability in the pricing right now. So TBD on that, but yeah, sounds like we can add it in if we wanted and it wouldn't yep. be too difficult. Yeah. Great. And my rule is contracts aren't important until they're very important. So yeah. it is important to look into these things yep. and make sure that you are protected. And that is, uh, <laughs> I don't One think of my that many way <laughs> typically, but it is so true that, yeah, you really want to pay attention to your contracts because, you know, they're either never going to be looked at at all. Yeah. Or they're going to be scrutinized to every single little detail if it turns into a huge problem. So, yep. It's not a problem until it's a huge problem. <laughs> it's usually not exactly. like a eh, medium sized problem with a contract. It's either <laughs> not a problem at all or it's yeah. a big problem. It's a very big problem. So, all right. Awesome. I've, yeah. I think we had some great insight there, <laughs> mostly you, but should we, should we yeah. just get right on the next caller? Yeah, let's, let's go. See what's up here. Hey, Sean and Catherine. It's Anthony with Premier Outdoor Living. I think I got two questions for you. One, when going into a future project, do you already have a couple design ideas in mind to where you're going to build the project around the design ideas? Or do you get a basic layout of the shape of the project and then start adding your design and unique touches to each project? And also, where do you pull your inspiration from? Is it something like you're driving around looking at things or looking at images to where 
you know what, we can do this and we can do that. Um, I think that's all I got for you. I'll see you Monday. And guess what kind of ship will not sink? Friendship. Onward. <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. That Anthony <laughs> sounds like a very fine gentleman. Uh, I would love to know him more. He sounds like just really a sweet guy. Uh, well, wasn't expecting to get a call from one of our own team members, but that's that. two very good questions. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Something that, uh, you know, I don't know. We haven't been asked that too much about exactly, you know, a lot of people know. Catherine, you're like looking off into the distance and it's distracting me. What, so here's the thing think? about podcasting from a van in my driveway. I just saw my cat jump over Mar- a I, I knew, I knew it was going to be Mark. Yeah. Okay. He's very distracting. Okay. All sorry. Right. That's okay. That's okay. So we do get a lot of, uh, you know, we've built our brand around some of these really intricate inlays that we do and, and the finer details on the project. Um, so it's it's interesting to hear. Do you come up with those ideas first, and then build the project around it, or or is are you building the general layout and then adding those things in? And it is the second one there. We build the layout first. I always start from uh, a very simple two uh, D almost approach with layout. Uh, I think. The inlays and and all those little details are really cool, but the most important thing to a design is just the overall layout, the proportions of different things and how they interact with each other. And when it comes down to it, it's just very simple shapes and how they play off of each other. Yeah. So I always start with just laying it out on graph paper in 2D, draw the shapes, um... I can put in different furniture and stuff and and I kind of know what the size of those things should be and how much room we'll need. And that way I can easily just erase lines, make things a little bit bigger or smaller and just play around with things until I feel like that top-down 2D feels like everything's in good proportion to each other. Like it's not off balance and you have all this stuff built up on one side and nothing to balance it off on the other. Mm -hmm. So... I always start like that and if your if your layout and your proportions are good the project's going to look really good regardless of whether you do a crazy inlay or not. And the crazy right. inlay, you know, for some styles like that that might detract from the design. It's kind of become part of our style a lot of times, so we can always figure out where is going to be the best spot to highlight something like that. But we always want to start with the layout with a functional design that makes sense, that's proportional, and then we can add in those little details that set it up over the top. But those always mm-hmm. come afterwards. Yeah. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you always start off, like you said, with simple shapes, but also from a like a functionality perspective. Like you always think about like, okay, you say you want this large dining area, but are you really going to have like a sit down dinner with your family? Let's feel how like feel out where the flow is actually going to happen. Get yeah. it from that perspective, and then once you figure out those like where everything's gonna go, 
like the major components, then you kind of add the designs. Yeah, definitely. So, and that's another thing with playing around with those shapes initially. I kind of know, I know how much space we need for a dining table to be able to walk around it. How close can we put uh, a sitting area to a dining table is, or, or it's going to feel too cramped. So mm-hmm. through experience, I know all of these things and I can play around with that because functionality is something I, I prioritize a lot in our designs. Mm-hmm. They say form follows function. It's like a, it's like a term. I, I'm not totally <laughs> sure like where that comes from, but I always, th- yeah, I always <laughs> think of the functionality first, mm-hmm. build around that. And, you know, we can make adjustments with the layout and stuff and, and, you know, maybe enhance it and make it look a little bit cooler as long as we're not compromising that functionality. And that kind of comes from, like you were saying, with the dining table. Uh, people might just kind of throw out ideas. Uh, you know, we were thinking a, a covered area with, uh, I guess, a dining table here. And well, I've developed a lot of kind of leading questions for people to really figure out what is it exactly that they do want. They mm-hmm. they don't know what furniture they want where. They know how they anticipate using it. So I'll ask yeah. questions like, how many people say it's a it's an average Friday night and you're going to invite a couple friends over? How many people is that typically? Is it, you know, five or six? Is it 10 to 12? You know, give me, paint that picture for me. So we can design around that. That's going to be, you know, the most common entertainment situation that they're going to have. Mm-hmm. Also, how many people are in your immediate family? If it's a Tuesday night and you're going to just hang out on the back porch, how many people is that? Is it just you know, you and your wife, is it, do you have eight kids? Like paint that picture for me. Eight kids. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have one right now and I, that sounds insane. (laughs) And then, you know, some people will have uh, a once a year function that maybe has a hundred people. So you want to make sure that you can, you don't want to build a deck or a patio that's going to always accommodate a hundred people. But usually those kind of things, we want to have it more of an open layout where it flows into the yard and you can, you know, rent a tent and have, uh, you know, rent tables and put them underneath the tent, but you don't want to create these traffic jams if every year you do have a big party. So all of those things come into mind, always function and layout first. Then we can throw those little details in anywhere, really, as long as the layout's cool. We add those details, a little bit of special sauce, Boom. Premier Outdoor Living. That's it. <laughs> Should be the new tagline. Yeah. A little bit of special sauce. Boom. Premier uh, Outdoor. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And the second part of that question was, where do you draw your inspiration from? Uh, I remember when we were in Dallas recently, and I, I, this was such a nice memory. We were like coming, we were driving in the Uber from the oh, airport yeah. to our hotel, and we saw this like really cool suspension bridge, and it was... Like a lot of cables, yeah, holding it up. Is that a sus- I don't, I don't know the different kinds of bridges. I think it was a suspension bridge. It had a bunch of cables that created like a really intricate V shape that was really. I think that is a sus. I'm, sounds like it. It sounds like it would be right. Yeah, I'm not totally sure what. All right, we'll go with that. Yeah. In Dallas, there's a bridge. It <laughs> yep. may or may not be a suspension bridge. I think it is. Um, but you looked at that and you're like, oh, I gotta do that. I gotta do something like yeah. that. Um. I took a picture of it too, and I totally yeah. forgot about that. So, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, next time you do a design, 
Yeah. Pop it in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you can really find inspiration everywhere. Uh, I guess there is, there are other designers that, you know, I'll see stuff online and there's not really anybody in particular that like, I really, I guess like study. I think it's just Mm -hmm. more of, and this is probably like just a, an element of living in an Instagram, TikTok world where it's, it's, I don't really pay attention to anything in particular, but I'm just scrolling through. So it's like something is registering in my mind (laughs) and that's going to spark an idea later. So it's like, I saw it somewhere. I don't really remember because I wasn't fully paying attention. Like nobody does anymore to anything, (laughs) but it's somewhere there in my brain and it kind of pops out. So yeah. Well, I think that's important, though. Like, you don't want to just copy someone's style exactly. You need to just compile it all in your brain, think of what your own style is, and then put something out into the world. Yeah. And I would say, I would say, honestly, um, most of our ideas are just something that's been built upon from another idea that we had. Um, Yeah. And a lot of times, me and Anthony will be talking about something, or, or we'll have just done something, and then either he or I will say, next time we could kind of do this same idea or use this product and mm-hmm. we could do this. Uh, we did that like with some self-closing hinges on, uh, uh, we made like some custom cabinets. Yeah. And then we kind of had like a five or 10 minute conversation of, wow, there's a lot of really cool things that we could do with these hinges. And that's, it just kind of builds on itself. And you think of one idea, you think of, five ways to make that idea better on future projects. And then that idea turns into the next iteration of that, whatever it is. So most of it is just building on your own experience. And then you're just kind of pulling those ideas that are out there from the zeitgeist. Remember I, I learned about that on the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just like the, you know, you don't really know where it comes from, but you see it and it's just, uh, it just comes out. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, and it, like when I go into say, say we're designing an inlay, I like to just kind of like doodle. I'll draw out on graph paper. If we're doing say an inlay in a deck, I'll draw out the perimeter of the deck on uh, graph paper. I'll draw out where I want the inlay to be. And then I'll just do a couple sketches this way it's to scale and I can just play around with it and see like, you know, what's too busy, what's just enough. And, you know, I'll usually start with some sort of idea in my head and that helps me just kind of flesh out that idea and see what, how's this going to work the best? What's going to, what's going to look the best. And, uh, you know, and it's just easy because I can, I think pencil and paper is just a really organic way to get your ideas out of your head Putting mm-hmm. them on the computer after that is amazing, and it's a great way to show the client. But I think the best ideas for me come when I put pencil to paper. Yeah. So that's a great tip. Yeah. Just start. Get it out of your brain. Get it out of your brain. <laughs> really, everything. The more that you can get out of your brain, whether it's you're writing a list or mm-hmm. whatever, it's always good. Yeah. I always want to keep everything inside my brain. That's probably why my brain's always racing and I can never, <laughs> I can never exactly remember what I'm supposed to be doing, but I have an overwhelming feeling that there's 10 things I need to do. Yeah. But I can't quite remember what any of those are because I don't write lists most of the time, but we're changing that. 
Yeah, we are. That's the old Sean. That's the old Sean. That's you've got a whole new. Sean. You've got a pocket calendar now. We've got official checklists on the way. Things are changing. That calendar cannot fit in my pocket. I'm not wearing Jenko jeans. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's a book okay, bag calendar. What's, what's it called? I thought it was called a pocket calendar. Isn't that their name? Um, I don't. know. It's it's my first one. I don't. <laughs> I really it's your don't. first one. Uh, yeah, I think so. Really? I believe so. Yeah. Oh. I've had. Uh, I live and die by these things. On several occasions, I've had large desk calendars. Oh yeah. The problem with that. Never had a desk. Not always at a desk. Those are never I feel at like, a desk. Yeah, there's those never are... been any situation where I've had a desk. Yeah, but there's been several occasions where I've bought those type of calendars, <laughs> and no wonder they didn't work. Yeah, for me. no, yeah. I feel like those are inefficient. I've tried those too, yeah. like especially with like workouts or something. I'm trying to track. I'm like, yeah. I'll write it all down in this monthly calendar, and I'll have it all there. Never look at it again. Yep. If I have the weekly thing, it's like, all right, this is yeah. digestible. I can carry this around with me. This is great. <laughs> We did, we did kind of, well, at least I went over this when I first bought this, which was only last week. There's no better feeling than the moment you buy the <laughs> thing, whatever it is, whether it's a yeah. calendar or it's healthy food because you're going to start a diet <laughs> or it's workout supplements. That yeah. very moment that you buy the thing is when you have just, <laughs> you're just full all hope. the hope in the world. <laughs> My life is changing for the better in this very moment. And even if you do stick with the thing, it's never going to feel as good as that one moment where you just, <laughs> most of the time you're not going to stick with it. Let's be real. <laughs> but in that one moment, you're so certain that your yeah. life is going to change. Mm-hmm. And good. mine's going to. Yeah. I'm going to be one of those. No, listen, you do have a desk now. We're in a van. That is your desk. So. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. The possibilities are endless here. They are. And you're going to stick to it. We're going to. Hopefully the possibilities are singular in that I keep the calendar and I stay on track. I don't need endless possibilities with this calendar <laughs> situation. That's how I've typically lived my life. And yeah, the calendar could end up in the trash. It could end up in the river. I don't want endless. I want one possibility. Yeah, you never know. I don't know. I'm, I'm predictable. Okay. I lead a very rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> I want Apparently. one. I want one possibility here. I keep that calendar <laughs> and it changes my life and I become an organized person. I'm not taking like any it. other reality. That is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. TBD on that. We'll keep everyone updated on my calendar situation. <laughs> all right. Next call. Thanks Next for the call, call. Anthony. <laughs> we love you. We will see you on Monday. We will. <laughs> and I, no better ship than friendship. That was nice. I do like that one. Two ship guy. references right out of the right out of the gate. Yeah. It's a theme. It's a very Bodhi podcast. Yeah. All right. Next question. Hey, Sean. This is Chris uh, up in Minnesota, uh, otherwise known as CM Boost. Uh, I was curious about hidden fasteners. Uh, they seem to be a must these days, and you have clip systems and several different systems with screws uh, that can be hidden. Uh, and everybody has their preferred method of fastening decks. Uh, what is your take on it, pros and cons to clips versus screws, and what's your preferred method? Thanks. Great question there, Chris. Uh, and most people, if you're in the deck industry, you know him, CM Boost. He is all over the place, uh, amazing carpenter turned product rep now. 
Yeah. Which I just found out at Deck Expo when I ran into him, and I was like, oh, dang. He's selling deck boards now. Oh, nice. But he's, uh, like I said, an amazing carpenter. He's worked with a couple really, really good companies, and uh, he knows his stuff in and out. So it's cool to see him, uh, you know, take on a a new phase of his career and now be working on the manufacturer side of things. And uh, I think he'll do great at that because he, he knows the builder really well. So, yeah. Um, hidden fasteners. Yeah, we get a ton of questions about this and I don't really think that there is one catch all solution for everything, especially the stuff that we do. Uh, you know, we try to, we use clips on most of our field boards. So, uh, a majority of the boards get hidden fasteners, uh, via a type of clip system. And because we do a lot of, uh, inlays and stuff like that anytime we were dealing with smaller pieces or it's just a more intricate inlay uh sometimes there's not really an opportunity to get clips in there and make it super solid so we have to use uh, a plug system so that's been one of the one of the greatest things to hit the the decking industry is plugs that are made out of the boards uh you're in the decking industry you obviously know what i'm talking about but if you're not it's you pre-drill a, a hole in the deck board you drive a screw and then you just tap in a plug that's made out of the exact same deck board and it pretty much disappears so those are the most two common that uh we use but as a whole we everything is hidden fasteners we don't do exposed screws on any deck boards, whether it is on top of the deck, on the side of the deck. Um, everything needs to be hidden fasteners, in my opinion, and there's plenty mm -hmm. of stuff on the market to make that happen. Uh, the days of just using color match screws on your perimeter and the ends of boards, not a good look anymore. Use what's out there. It It's one of the simplest things to give it the cleanest look, and uh, it's easy enough with how much stuff's out on the market. So hidden fasteners. Yeah. Use them. It's the way to go. Try to find them. They're hidden. <laughs> you can't, can't. You can't find them. Can't find them. They're hidden. They're hidden. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks for the call, Chris. Appreciate that. Uh, what do What do we got next? Next question. Hey guys, this is Sean Ash with uh, Strathcona Exteriors up in Canada. Uh, just had a question. Um, Wondering if you guys have any, actually there's a two-part question, sorry. Wondering if you guys have any hobbies that you do outside of work. I know Sean probably doesn't. Um, also wondering, what are your favorite books? Thanks. Have a good one. Like that one. That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Sean. Uh, obviously, great name <laughs> for one. But uh, he's building some really cool stuff up in Canada. Um, so appreciate the call and great question. Yeah. Kind of a kind of a uh, just out of left field question. Not not <laughs> industry related, but uh, I love it. I love it so much, and he hit it right on the head for me. <laughs> Hobbies uh, don't have them. Never have. No, that's not true. It's you true. have absolutely had hobbies. What? Playing yeah. guitar. 
That was not a hobby. That was a career <laughs> at that time in my life. Everything that everything I you do, do, you do as a, a business. Is this even, your millennial side hustle problem? <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I feel like as oh, we're gonna we're just gonna get deep here. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> as a kid, I was never like naturally good at anything. Like yeah. I was never like really athletic or really like like good at the guitar. Like all my friends play guitar and stuff, and like. I started and I was like the worst one. And I think something about that, like I always had to work really hard to excel at anything. So I think that's probably where that comes from that. I can't just, I can't do anything just for (laughs) the pure enjoyment of it, which is probably a humongous character flaw of mine (laughs) and probably why I've had issues with anxiety. Um, yeah, I so, do feel yeah. like there's something deeper there. There, oh, there definitely. I think is. that should be a goal for you though, like 2022. To find something that is just find a hobby that you just enjoy doing for the sake of doing, that helps you decompress. Because really, you do just you work and then you go home and be a dad and a husband and then, then you go back to work. So yeah. you need something. But on the needle other- point, have you ever tried anything like? <laughs> what is that? Is that acupuncture? <laughs> no. What is that? Needlepoint, it's like yeah. when you, like, um, it's like, like a, you take a piece of fabric and then you, like, sew through <laughs> it to create images. <laughs> In my defense here, I feel like I've taken all my hobbies, anything that I like to do, I just incorporate it into my job. So, yeah. I feel like I do, That's... I had hobbies that aren't hobbies anymore, they're just part of my job. Like, I love... Really anything creative and video editing and I don't know, this podcast, I guess. Yeah. Like these That's are all fair, fun though. Yeah. things for me. That's so, fair. Being creative is your hobby. Yeah. And yeah. I've just found ways to roll that into my job. And something I also heard a while ago um, was you should have three hobbies. One to be creative, one to make money, and one to keep you in shape. And I always felt huh. like... I get to do all three of those things. I like that. I mean, the staying in shape thing, I'm not, I'm in the van too much. I need to get out <laughs> of the van more for that to really like uh, play a huge part. But yeah, I just feel like why not make all your hobbies into your job? So like they can help you make money and they can, it can just be something that you make a living off of. So maybe I don't have hobbies or maybe I have a bunch of hobbies and I just use them as part of my job. Yeah. So what about you? Um, I think my hobby is having hobbies because I love <laughs> <laughs> like my my Instagram <laughs> handle is Howard and her hobbies. Howard is my middle name and I just love to have hobbies like I. Yeah. My main hobby is sailing. I love to sail. Um, I, fi- I trash pick boats and redo them. That's yeah. like my main. I love the sailing part of it and I also love the fixing the boat part of it. So yeah. I would say that's probably my, my main hobby. But when I was like living in corporate America, I was constantly looking for reasons to be creative. So I would always pick up something like painting or singing or crocheting or whatever. I would learn how to do these things until I was like decent enough at them. And then I'd be like, all right, what's next? I want to learn my next hobby. Yeah. So I think my hobby is to have hobbies. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> we, I feel like we 
completely run the spectrum there. Yeah. I claim I don't have any <laughs> hobbies and I never have and I never will. Yeah. And your actual hobby is to find more hobbies. Yeah. Um, so yeah. interesting. But you <laughs> you really do, like, because we, we kind of went over this, that when you were in corporate America and you were doing nothing really creative uh, career-wise, like it was, mm-hmm. it was very stifling to your creativity. Yeah. You went nuts with every creative hobby, painting. Um, you were doing portraits of dogs and very nice ones, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You, <laughs> is that something that you just like kind of picked up or were you always a painter? Um, no, I just picked that up. I like, it took like classes in high school, like everybody does, you know, yeah. you just take art classes. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I just like decided I wanted to do it one day and I just did it. Yeah. But then circle back to the millennial side hustle problem. I would do a dog painting and then everyone would be like, oh my gosh, can I pay you to do this? And then I'd be like, okay, like, yeah. And then it like, then it became unfun because then it was like a, like a side business. And I was like, yeah, no, I just want to paint things for fun. Yeah. You don't always have to make money at something. You can just enjoy it. But, but now that I do creative stuff all the time, I don't feel the need to paint anymore. I haven't painted in a while. But you'll always probably do sailing. That's something so I that- have done sailing since like the first time I went sailing, I was like two weeks old. So I'm like, ne- that's never going to go away. It seems incredibly <laughs> dangerous. What? Why? Skip and Linda, what are you? You have a child on a <laughs> sailboat? That just sounds unsafe. I don't know. It's not. It's I would wholly be, safe. I would be scared. Why? I don't. It's you just, wouldn't let me take Max on a sailboat? Like, I'm not even allowed to be there? You can be it's there. just you? <laughs> me like, and Max. Yeah. On the open ocean. Um. No, what, like, sailing is not dangerous. If Like, on my boat right now, it's, it, my boat... I physically could not capsize my boat. Huh. Okay. So it's, you know, yeah. it's not going anywhere. You're yeah. fine. It's safe. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll see about it. It's too cold to go sailing <laughs> right now. So it You're would right. have to be a we'll summer thing. Yeah. So, um, but you know what? The, the more that we talk about it, maybe I really should find a hobby. Something that I purely do as, cause even like things like, um, yoga or meditation yeah um i wouldn't even say they're hobbies because i look at those things as it's gonna help me be able to focus more at work or um yeah you know so yeah i feel like meditate i would i mean yoga feels like a hobby though because you can go and like do that with other people and like yeah meditation i feel like that's not a hobby that's just like a practice yeah yeah just like a way of life yeah. Yeah, I guess that's not like a hobby. Yeah. All right, I'm going to think on that. I think that would be a good exercise for me in my own life to just just do one thing. Just, just enjoy something, purely Sean. Purely for the enjoyment of it, for nothing else, but just the pure enjoyment of it. Yeah. All right, well, we'll see. Well, so the part two to that question was, uh, what's your favorite book? Favorite books? Um, I love books. I love buying books. I sometimes love reading books. I love just having them around. I, I do like that too. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like the calendar thing. There's nothing, <laughs> there's no better moment than when you buy the book. Mm-hmm. And I usually buy them like six at a time on Amazon. And we'll, oh my gosh, I do the same yeah. thing. <laughs> and it's great. It's so nice. And um, I would say my favorite, I'm going to do, 
I'm going to do three books. A business one, a just wild card, and a lifestyle one. Okay. Uh, one that I read early in my business was called Boss Life. And it's about a custom furniture maker in PA somewhere. Uh, his name's Paul Downs, and he builds like these absolutely insane conference tables like that's what he specializes in and uh me and my friend who uh my friend aj who also owns a business we used to like read books together and then like get together and talk about them and stuff and we actually hit this guy up paul downs and we went and went to his shop and got a tour of his shop and everything and met him it was super cool and the thing i loved so much about that book was it was really when i was starting off and you know, I had this vision of where I wanted to go with the business and how I was going to get there. But still, day to day, there's a lot of times when you're like, it can't be this hard for everybody. I must be doing something wrong. And his book just goes through a year of his business. And most of it goes through a time when like things aren't going well at all. Mm-hmm. And it just like, it made me feel like things going wrong are just, that's a part of the process. That it's not me doing something inherently wrong in the business. It's mm-hmm. It comes with the territory that obstacles are going to come your way. And part of growing a business and part of learning how to be a business owner is just learning how to handle those obstacles. And if you go into it expecting everything to go smooth, you're going to get killed and you're going to be out of business real quick because you won't be able to handle it. So... That's one thing I tell a lot of people that are just starting out, like expect it to be really hard and know that it's like that for everybody. Like don't feel like you're alone because <laughs> it feels really hard and it feels like nothing's going right. Yeah. Um. So I really, that one like really resonated with me, especially at the time, boss life. I would recommend it to everybody. My second one, uh, more of a, I don't know how to categorize it, but it's how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Uh, written, I think around 1930. And it's one of those books that just stands the test of time. And it's, it's all about people skills at its core. And I just, I just love the fact that it's something that was written so long ago and all the principles still make sense. And they're applicable to either a really difficult client or, you know, managing relationships with employees and even personal relationships, friendships, you know, marriage, all that kind of stuff. It all is still applicable and all those Mm -hmm. basic things still hold up. So I recommend that book to everybody. That's probably my most recommended book. Um, So check that out. And then I said I was going to do a third one, but I can't really think of it. Um, So one that, that really resonated with me when I got into like mindfulness and meditation, um, it's actually called wherever you go, there you are. And it has that saying. (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't want to written by Anthony. It wasn't, I didn't want to tell him in the moment that like, that's like, that's like a incredibly famous book called wherever you go, there you are. He thought his friend's dad made up the saying or something, but, um, (laughs) But that's a really, it's a really good book about like mindfulness in daily life and 
I just have a tendency to always be living in the future and like thinking of ideas and just like lost in my own thoughts. So, uh, it's one that's a really simple read and it's a good like introduction into mindfulness and, uh, you should check it out wherever you go. There you are. Yeah. That's my three. Those are good recommendations. And what do you got? Um, I feel like I, I read a lot of fiction as like a distraction from real life, but I will say the two nonfiction books that I really, well, one really stuck with me and that's called Hidden Valley Road. It's, um, it's about a family that had, it's like a couple, they had 12 children and six of them had like very deeply profound mental illness. Um, and it's just like a good, it's such a good book. The way that it's written is a true story about a real family. And... It's not uplifting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds... I mean, at the end it is kind of, it. there's a good message to the book, but yeah. um, it's just such a good reminder that like everyone has these like incredibly detailed lives that you don't realize when you're like dealing with these people in every facet of life. Like everyone's coming from a past and everyone's um, acting on these experiences that they've had in life. So everyone's coming from a different perspective and it's just like such a good reminder of like, you have no idea what other people deal with. Like just yeah. everyone that you encounter every day has like a, it's called solipsism. They have like a, a deep life all their own and you're just encountering a person for a brief second. Is that, um, is that like one of those things where, cause I, I don't remember the word, but it's like, I don't know, you see it like online, like 30 words in like other languages or something that describe something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like almost like deja vu, but that one's like super common. The other one's like the, what do you say? Like Haji, like where it's like cute and cozy. It's like H-Y. Huga. Oh, oh okay. I was way off on that. <laughs> that's like Danish for. Yeah. But cozy. that's yeah. another one. I can't remember what the word was, but it's like each person that you encounter. Oh, were- uh, Sonder. Sonder. Yeah. That's the word I was thinking of. Not solipsism. That's a totally different ph- philosophical word. We'll it's get into that sonder. On the next that's, podcast. Yeah, solipsism yeah. is different. That's like yeah. kind of the opposite of what I'm saying. This word is sonder. That's what, that's yeah. what it is. Sonder. And, and I, like, I never thought about it till like I read that and it was probably like a BuzzFeed article or something <laughs> like that. But every single person that you meet on a daily basis that you just walk by in a mall or something, they have as, you know, deep and like complicated of a life as you and you're just like this one little tiny blip yeah. for half a second in their hugely complicated layered life and they are the same to you it's just it's yeah. like weird to uh it's kind of like meta it's very deep and very meta yeah, yeah. it's like whoa that's crazy <laughs> like yeah ah uh, but that book is it's it's phenomenal. And what's it called again? Hidden Valley Road. Hidden Valley Road. Yeah. It's it, it like for me it was like life changing. I I absolutely adore that book. And my other book would be The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And I don't know if I can say that word. I'm sorry. If I can't. You can't. Catherine. But it's part of <laughs> it's can't. part of the title of the book. Um well actually it's all like bleeped out, so maybe I should have said that. We can bleep well, in, in editing, I'll bleep that out. Um, yeah. but it's like that book, it's just so it's one of those books you start and you like know exactly where the point is going, but it's a good reminder to like, just do what you want in life. Like, yeah. you know, you have to make yourself happy and you, you give so much energy into thinking about what other people think of you or yeah, like so much of that stuff doesn't matter. You just got to make yourself happy and you've got to keep going and do your best 
And that's like the motto I live by. Like I, I do things to be the best person that I can be and make myself as happy as I can and the people around me. And then everything else is just kind of extra. Extra. Wow. I used to incredibly deep. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot of people spend so much time thinking about like what other people think of them or like, especially in a business, like you're so worried about like every calculated move because you're trying to get every client and, and trying to be the best person that you can be. And, and, Really, your reputation is like you can do the you can do you could donate a million dollars to a charity and someone's not going to like that charity. So then they're going to hate you because you did that thing. Yeah. So it's like you just got to keep doing what you got to do and not give an F and not give an F. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've always been naturally, I think, pretty good at that. Like, I just I don't know. I don't know what it, like I don't I don't care because. The things that I feel like I really believe in, if somebody doesn't think that I can do it or doesn't believe in my vision, I think that they're wrong and I'm right. So I don't care. Like (laughs) when it really comes down to things like that, that like I truly deeply believe in somebody that has an opposite opinion that either thinks it's stupid or thinks it's not going to work. I, I don't care because I genuinely think that they're wrong. Yeah. So I never really thought too much about what other people think of me, but I think, and did you finish reading it? Yeah. Okay. And it was, cause I bought that book too. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, I thought I, I probably got through like, I don't know, maybe a quarter of it. And it was like, for me, I thought, uh, it, it seems like I kind of get the whole gist of it just yeah. from the title. Oh, like uh, for yeah. sure. It's one of those books that you know exactly where it's going to go, but it's like, yeah. it's a nice reminder. Like, I feel like with books, you read them at certain points in your life and they have profound impacts. Like I read a book, I don't even remember what it was called, by some influencer who is now, uh, she's been canceled. Everyone hates her. She's canceled. We can't talk about her? Who is it? Uh, Rachel Hollis. Uh, She was canceled. I forget what she was canceled for, but she was canceled. And she continues to be canceled? Uh, I think so. I think she's canceled. Just for for good. Sometimes you can get uncanceled and come back. No, I think she's she's still definitely canceled. It must have been bad. I forget. I think I don't remember. But he, she was canceled for something. Let's not talk and, about it too much because <laughs> we might get canceled just for talking about exactly. it. Exactly. So. Okay. so, but I read her book at a, and in a point in my life, it was like exact like whatever her book said, it was like exactly what I needed to hear. But mm-hmm. if I read that book now, I'd be like, "What this lady like, you know, like I feel like books just they need to hit you at a certain point, like self-help books specifically need to yeah. hit you at a certain point in your life where you just need to hear that certain thing." Yeah. So like for the subtle art of not giving an F, like I used to deeply care what people think, thought about me. I like growing up, I really cared. I like all through high school. I really cared. I, you know, I didn't win homecoming queen. And I was like, what did I do wrong? Like I was on the court and then I didn't win. And I was like, Oh my God, what did I do? Why do people hate me? And now I don't know if like, maybe it was when I hit my thirties or whatever, but like something in me switched. And I was like, I do not care at all what people think about me. Like, I try to be the best person that I can be. I do what I think is right, and then that's all that matters. Yeah. And, like, th- that's when that book, like, those kind of things hit me. Like, I needed to hear that in that moment, and now it's just kind of, like, a nice refresher. Like, okay, I got yeah. to that point, and it's like, all right. Yeah. I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad that that switch in my brain flipped, and now that book had a deep impact on me. And I think I think a lot of books a lot of times are like that, where not only... Not only does it hit you at a certain time, but it's just 
Like there might not be like some super profound actionable step like, oh, I need to do this one thing to not give an F what people think. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, whether you just like me, I read like a little bit of it and I was like, okay, I kind of get it. It just wasn't resonating with me at the time. But the more time you spend reading it, it just, you know, there might not be some super actionable step, but it just puts you in a mindset that it kind of sticks a little bit more. The more that you're in that mindset reading the book, the more it it kind of has an effect on you, I think. So yeah. sometimes books don't have to necessarily have this profound one thing that you can do. Like there's this, you know, a lot of times there's not like this one secret that you find in a book. It's just more the book puts you in a certain mindset. Yeah. To just do things better in your own life. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, that's that's two really good books. And I want to hear what's your favorite nonfiction, because I hate nonfiction because uh, <laughs> just like I don't have any hobbies. I just feel like they are pointless to me. And uh, why am I just going to sit there and just enjoy a book? <laughs> I should probably get into some fiction and just yeah. just read just for the enjoyment of it. So I would love to hear what. You know, what what type of fiction do you read? Um, and then, fiction. obviously, fiction, there's always things that translate into real life. There's always yeah. a lesson that you can kind of take from it. So it's not like it's completely pointless, but I just yeah. always feel the need. Like, if I'm going to sit here and read, I need to be learning something. Yeah. Again, huge character. I feel flaw. like <laughs> <laughs> the thing with fiction and, like, my brain views fiction as it would like a reality TV show where it's just like I I read them and then I don't necessarily like remember every single detail to them. So they all like, like I had this conversation the other day with my friend and she, we were talking about the girl on the train, mm-hmm. which was then made into a movie. And then, um, oh, what's the other movie called? Is that the same as the girl with the dragon tattoo? No, different. Okay. But see, that's this is what happens with fiction in my brain. It all like yeah. melds together. But there's the girl on the train, and then Gone Girl. The girl on the train and Gone Girl, in my brain, the movie, yeah. were the exact same thing. They're both books that were made into movies. They're the same thing. So I do, I do have that problem. But I guess like the easy question, the is easy answer to this would be like Of Mice and Men. I loved that book. Okay. Super quick read. Super simple. You read it when you're like. In college or high school or whatever, but I love never read it, that book. Yeah. Did, you didn't? No. That's a great place for you to start. Yeah. Try of Mice and like Men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds... Is that... Wait, there's somebody named like Lenny in that? Yeah. Or, and he's like... Uh, something's wrong with him <laughs> yes. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He's challenged. He squishes a mouse. Yeah. A oh, of. no. Why does he do that? It was uh, an accident. Oh, it was? He loved the mouse. It was an accident. Oh, he was trying to hug it like too much. Yeah. Oh. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I think we were Oops. supposed to read that in high school. <laughs> um, I there's, never read there's so many much. There, like, in high school. with I and I, I feel like you would view it the same. Like fiction, there's nothing. It there's no message in that, so it's like you're yeah. just you're just listening to a story. So I read yeah. fiction constantly, and I feel like I never remember the name of them. So, so it's it's it it's it's just for the pure enjoyment the of enjoyment that of moment. the story at that time. Yeah, that is more profound than any book that you could have named just <laughs> i really need to start doing that just do things for the pure enjoyment of them in the moment yeah <sighs> okay yeah sounds great yeah we should start a book club we definitely should 
I feel like we just went really deep on books. I feel this like we a went great super <laughs> deep on books. This almost felt like a therapy session for yeah. me. Well, Sean, thanks, we have a yeah, lot of changes. Thanks for bringing it up, change. Sean. Jeez. <sighs> well, no, that was great. Um, appreciate the call, Sean. And uh, let's get into the next one. All right. Hey, guys, this is Pat from ProVisions. Uh, just wanted to check in with you guys. I got a couple questions. Um, first of all, I'd like to know, what's the next big venture for you guys? I mean, I've seen this mobile command center. I uh, had lucky to see it in person. The thing is awesome. So I want to know, what's Premier getting into in this next year, whether it be to um, – show some different designs or some different products what, what can we look in uh look forward to in this year um thanks for putting me on and uh excited to hear from you guys thanks thanks for the call there pat man that pat sounds like a nice guy Sounds so nice and so handsome. He sounds handsome <laughs> on the phone. Handsome? He definitely does. He does. Um, <laughs> should we tell people who this is? <laughs> that was my husband, Pat. That was. Provisions. Yep. And uh, thanks for the call, Bill. Coincidentally, a uh, a very longtime friend of mine because yep. uh, I've known him since sixth grade, since he moved here from Philly, and he was like the bad. Oh, right, yeah. He was like the bad boy. <laughs> from Philly that moved across the bridge into the suburbs. Yeah. Um, and coincidentally, he also owns a carpentry <laughs> business. Yeah. So, um, that actually was genuinely a good question. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> it was a, it was honestly a great question. Um, I've really, and it's, it's also a good one to kind of lead us at the end of this show. Yeah. Um, that what is, what is next for, Premier Outdoor Living, and I'm going to let you start with this what one. What isn't next for Premier Outdoor Living? Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's really, um, I think we, we do have some concrete goals that we, yeah. wanna, we want to achieve. Uh, we want to expand our footprint online. We want to create more content. Um, yeah. Because, well, you know. Number one, we see a lot of opportunity there, but we also really enjoy it. Um, yep. I think it's it's just really cool to, like when we were at the show yesterday, the the summit, that people were like, I follow your stuff. I love it. It's it's inspiring. Like, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. That people like listen to us and watch our stuff. And um, I think hopefully that people see mostly that a lot of times we don't totally know what we're doing but we figure it out yeah and that yeah we're kind of in uncharted territory so it's just yeah. kind of like too many people act like on the internet that they have everything figured out and i think that can be discouraging to people especially when they're just getting started that when yeah. they encounter huge problems that seem insurmountable at that time they feel like they're doing something wrong and that they're alone. Right. That's that's owning a business and that's completely normal. And um, that's that's something that I always try to be real with that, you know, number one, especially when you start, it's going to be really hard. And it's that's going to continue You just get better at dealing with the stuff that is hard. Um, so I want to I want to do more of that, uh, help people change their mindset a little bit. And I think. That's one of the goals of the podcast. 
uh, as far as our business, you know, really all of my goals when it comes to premier outdoor living and the projects we do, I always want them to be focused around just building cooler projects. Yeah. I always want the emphasis to be there. I never want our number one goal to be profit. I always want to be a better designer. I want all of us to be better builders. And that's something I feel like I'm just at the very beginning of. I feel like I have so much to learn about design and about building and all the things that are possible. So yeah, we're always trying to just push our envelope a little bit further and do something new, you know, try out uh, something that we think of that, you know, might seem like it's, it's pretty difficult to do, but just try to keep pushing that envelope. And I don't know what that is yet, but yeah, that mindset. I feel like we, we, yeah, we constantly have a growth mindset. No matter what we do the next time we're like, what can we do to make it better? What can we do to grow? What can we do to challenge ourselves? Yeah. It's just constantly growth. So yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, this podcast was like one of our number one goals and we're killing it. Here we are. <laughs> Look at us. What We're on is, episode eight now. This is great. <laughs> that is that is really um that's huge. Episode eight. I didn't even Episode eight, yeah. I hadn't even really thought about that. That is really for anybody listening that number one is still listening to this episode because it's going pretty long. Yeah. We love you. And if you have if you're, you're somebody a VIP now. Yeah. If you have listened to all the episodes, we appreciate you so much. Um yeah, I, that's a tough one to really answer. What's next for Premier Outdoor Living? I would say one thing we, we've always tried to do is be small enough and nimble enough to look for opportunity yeah. and be able to act on it when it presents itself. So That's such a good way of putting it. Being nimble. Thank you. Being nimble enough. Yeah. You know, love that. Uh, yeah, because they say the bigger the ship harder it is to turn around. Do they say that? Yeah. You know, the big... Somebody has once said that. It, <laughs> it's something like that. I'm probably butchering the exact quote, but, um, you know, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It takes longer to turn a bigger ship. It's something like sure, that. Sure, yeah. Everybody can look it up. <laughs> we're a small ship. We're like a speedboat. And we're very okay. nimble. Okay. Or we're like a professional sailing boat. <laughs> that effortlessly glides through the wind. Yep. I don't know, but uh, we look for opportunities and yeah. we're small enough to act on them when we find one that presents itself that is worth pursuing. Yeah. No, I really, I do really like that. I think that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. What, the, the boat thing? Well, I, I love any boat reference <laughs> yeah. ever. <laughs> I might but have... just that we're like nimble enough that we, we're constantly, we're constantly challenging ourselves yeah. and we're constantly looking for new opportunities that, are interesting yeah. to us. And I think that is just like everything in business and in life. It's a balancing act of sticking to a vision that you set out and not giving right. up on it, but also being open to opportunities that present themselves and, uh, you know, deciding which ones you want to act on and being in a position to be able to do that. One of the best ways I think to do that is, to keep your overhead low, keep your living expenses low. So, um, cause one of the best things about owning a business is like the freedom that it gives you. Yeah. And if you own a business and you're overwhelmed with an insane amount of debt and overhead, 
you don't get the benefit of that freedom. So what's the point? So that's just my two cents. Yeah. And that kind of doesn't have anything to do with the <laughs> nice question that Pat that asked. That was just a bonus nugget of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Short answer. We have no idea what's next. I don't even know what I'm yeah. doing tomorrow. At All this right. point, we're just a little, like chit-chatting. So, Yes. Are but we... we're getting to the most important part. I know we're over an hour. <laughs> we have each prepared a question for each other. Oh, yeah. you're right. You're did right. Did you forget about that? I did forget about that, but you are right. And yeah. I'm ready with my Probably question. Probably nobody is listening at this point. Uh, <laughs> who wants to go first? Right. Wow. Um, You ask me my question first, and then I'll ask you so we can end on you with some profound wisdom. <sighs> oh, man. Okay. Unless you have... Uh, I feel like I set myself up there. Okay, go ahead. What's okay. your question? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Because you are a very driven person, very goal oriented. What is it you think that is your biggest motivator or driver? Is it? Is it money? Is Ooh. it? Is it? Uh, you know, uh, what do they call that? Like, um recognition is it mm. what is it that drives you to do the things that you do all right this is a way better question than i was gonna ask you so i feel like we sort of should have swapped positions That's but okay. no um okay that is a great question is it gonna be like what's your favorite color <laughs> yes that's exactly what this, no i'm just kidding um okay i my biggest driving factor is and has always been i want to be proud of myself and i that's something that I have always struggled with. And I feel like like there are two moments in my life where my dad told me that he was proud of me and I was just floored. I was like, this is the best feel. My dad is very like quiet and soft-spoken and he's very profound and like, and in those two moments I was like, this is the best feeling I have ever felt. And I want to feel that, like I want to replicate that in myself. I was like, I want to be proud of myself. And I feel like that's always a hard thing for people to feel. You always feel like you're doing something wrong or you feel like you wish you did something differently. Or, you know, there's always that amount of self-doubt. So yeah. I want to be able to do things that I feel like I am proud of myself. And I feel like I didn't... Like, when I was working in corporate America, I would hit these milestones. And I was like, I mean, this is okay. But I'm like, I'm ultimately working for a, a giant corporation that could replace me very quickly. Or, you know, these things that I'm doing aren't like really... Like, they're needle movers in a sense, but at the end of the day, I'm still one of, like, 100 employees. It's not, like, something that I'm proud in my, of myself. So my yeah. biggest motivator, like, I left that corporate job, and now I feel like I'm doing things that actually matter. I'm helping a business propel itself. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's always been my, that's my goal, to be proud of myself. Yeah, I think... Um that's that's very profound. That's be proud of yourself. Yeah. What else can you do? And that's also that I guess that feeds into my like not giving a f what other people think about me, but like I feel like it's just you have to being proud of yourself is like a hard thing unless you're just full of ego, which maybe a lot of people are and I'm I'm the one in the the minority here but i feel like it's so hard to actually feel proud of yourself you're always feeling like oh i wish i said something else or i wish i did something else or you know there's endless opportunities and i wish i'd taken something else but like 
Yeah. It's hard to feel proud of yourself. At least that's how I feel. So I very rarely have that feeling. So that's what I strive for. Yeah. Not that, th- that sounded depressing. I don't, you know. No. I'm happy on the path that I'm on, but. Yeah. And I think, I think being, you know, not giving an F what people think of you and being proud of yourself are, are two different things. Like, you know, I think it is important to, to really like look at yourself and think, okay, I feel like I am achieving as much as I, as I can. I'm putting my all into something. And Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's totally like, maybe you get some like drive of that from, you know, maybe a little bit caring what people think of you. And that might motivate you a little bit to achieve something and then be proud of. But I think they're totally separate things. Like, you know, just, you know, kind of really just being real with yourself because you're the only one that like can really gauge what you think your own potential is. Like, do you, you're the only only one that can answer. Did I give it my all? Was I trying my hardest? Yeah. And I feel like people, a lot of people who are in like the, like we're very social media driven and a lot of people who are in this realm do things. So other people are proud of them. They want the recognition. They want those positive comments. They want that positive reinforcement. They want that affirmation from outside. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I'm like, I don't care what other people say. Like if someone says a mean thing to me on the internet, I couldn't care less. And it happens it happens a, a lot, lot already. Yeah, I'm a woman yeah. in this industry, but like, yep. I feel like, like that, like external validation has never been my driving force. It's been whether I am proud of myself. Yeah, and I think I think that's important. Love it. Yeah, love it. Um, all right, you ready for your question? Yeah. Yep. Um, so we at Premier Outdoor Living we're a tight knit group. Yes. Um, I have known you obviously for a very long time. Yes. Um, we are friends. You yes. are friends with my husband. I am friends with your wife. Yes. All of everyone that works for you has now become a friend. Yes. How do you balance the relationship of being a boss, but also being everyone's friend? Man, that's really, that's actually a really tough question. Um, I think it's, it's difficult to, I think, hmm. That's really a good question. A little bit. I think I think it's really like you can be friends with somebody and be like close with somebody and it's almost the same as as having a professional relationship where you treat them fairly and then you can have that expectation that they'll do the same for you. Like mm-hmm. you know, you can be friends with somebody and if that friend does something that like makes you really upset or you feel like they've wronged you, you can like yell at that person and be like, I've, I'm, I've been by your side through all this and you know, you treat me like this. So yeah, I think as the boss, as long as I treat everybody as, you know, kind of an equal and I treat them well and you know, I'm not like, uh, like trying to beat productivity out them. Like I'm, I'm just, being fair to them and I treat them really well. I think the expectation is that they do right by me as well. And if for whatever reason, I feel like they are taking advantage of me, I feel like I am in a position where I can just go to them and say, Hey, look, like I feel like you're taking advantage of how well I've treated you a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've done all these things for you. 
and I've I've treated you like a, a friend and and a really valued member of this business for all this time, mm-hmm. and I feel like you're taking advantage of that a little bit, yeah. and I feel like as long as you really are treating them well and you have done things to to be good to them, you can have a conversation with them and. A lot of times they'll say, you know what? Yeah, um, I'm really sorry. You know, I got this going on. Um, so I feel like you can have those conversations when you come from a place of of being good to them. And I think it can be complicated sometimes, like having a friendship with somebody plus working together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it can be tough to navigate, but it's. Yeah. I mean, how do you I, feel about it? Do you feel like it's? I feel great about it, but I'm not your boss. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying like, like that is a good answer. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, like you work so closely with people that eventually you get like, and a lot of companies will be like, oh, we're a family, we're a family. And, yeah. and it can create some complicated dynamics. Yeah. So, but I, I'm not saying that from a point of, like, I think that you balance it very well, but that's why I was asking because I think that it can be very complicated to be someone's friend and also their boss. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think maybe it is, but, um, you know, I think, I think it, it, it comes down to a mutual respect as long as you are, as long as you are doing everything you can to treat them fairly, you feel like, you know, I can go to them and say whatever I feel and, you know, they'll be responsive to it or they can come to me and say, Hey, this is, you know, what are you doing to us here? This is this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm receptive to that. So I think it just all comes down to being being open with your whole team and being transparent. And one of the things I always say about, you know, trying to be a good leader, which I'm not really sure if I am, but I think one of the important <laughs> things that you that you can do to be a good leader is I'm like so real with all the things that I'm bad at. I think a lot of bosses try to act like they know everything better than everybody else mm-hmm. in every aspect. Yeah. And I only pride myself on like one or two things, creativity <laughs> and vision, everything yeah. else. I want everybody else to be better than me at. Cause if mm. I'm the best at organization on this team, we are in, Really rough waters. <laughs> Boating reference. Yeah. It's like number four now. It is, yeah. <laughs> Killing those references. <laughs> so that's pretty much no. it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's a great yeah. no, that's a great perspective. Yeah. So I guess that's it. I think that has to be it. We've been talking for <laughs> a very talking long forever. time. Oh my god. Wow. All right. Well, I love the format of this. Yeah. We didn't get to everyone's questions, but you know, we will. There's always next time. I think we should keep doing this. I think I, this is yeah. great. I think this really like opened up some some really long, <laughs> drawn out tangents, <laughs> but I think that's where the magic comes from. Yeah. So till next time, this has been the hardworking happy hour. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>